Today we have a guest preacher, which you all know is our brother Joseph Lau. He will be preaching from Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. And the title of his message is Rejoicing in Suffering. So please do welcome our brother Joseph. So our scripture reading from today comes from Romans 5, verse 1 through 5. And it says here, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is the word of God. Life seems like it's full of ups and downs. One season of life, the grass is greener, the sky is blue, everything in life seems right. But quickly comes another season where it seems like you or I are in the valley of the shadow of death. For some of us, one particular season is longer for others compared to others and vice versa. But regardless, we can all agree that life is hard, is filled with seasons of trials, relational problems, a loss of a loved one, feeling the brokenness of the world, financial insecurity are just a few. And for me, I can think of a handful of times that were pivotal and challenging and shaping who I am today, but none of these times were anything short of painful or seemingly overbearing. One of those times when I transitioned to college, and this transition was hard for many reasons, but to put it into summary, coming from Edmond, Oklahoma, coming from a very hyper-conservative, very religious Christian environment, and then being instantly placed at a university that was very irreligious, very progressive, was a very difficult transition. The things I talked about, the way I connected with people, completely changed and was in a sense lost. Everything about me had changed in an instant. I had a great sense of social isolation, but also felt a great sense of spiritual isolation as well. As I was a freshman, I went to countless ministries and churches where I found out to my surprise that there was little to no teaching of the gospel. And as someone who really values my faith in church and values my friends, having friends, I felt like I had almost lost everything. I went from having a strong church community and naturally getting along with many people from my hometown to, again, having no church home and feeling naturally disconnected with those around me and my peers. But the worst part of it all was I questioned myself asking, was I doing something wrong with my faith? Was I really a Christian? God, do you really love me? And if you love me, why, why is this happening to me right now? I don't know what you have experienced in the recent years. I don't know what's happening to you right now. Maybe you are currently walking in this valley of the shadow of death. Maybe you're losing or have already lost hope. But I'm here today to say God is present. God is here. He knows your suffering. And And as we can see in this passage, in verse three and four says, we as God's people can rejoice in our suffering because we have the great assured hope 
of our great Lord. So this brings me to the very first verse in verse 1. When we see in verse 1 this great word of therefore. And there's a great importance in this word. And before I can go into the importance of this word, it's first important to note that in the first four chapters of Romans, we see Paul making this argument and giving this intensive explanation of what it means to be justified by faith in Christ, to be saved not by anything that we do, not anything by any merit that we have in ourselves, but we are solely justified in the faith and the trust that we have in the work of Jesus Christ. And now we see here in chapters 5 through 8, and this being in chapter 5, we see that Paul's main point is to bring assurance to the believer that if you are justified in Christ, and you are justified in Christ if you put your faith in him, therefore you surely, 100%, fully have this great hope that comes from God. And one thing that he uses, as we see in verse 1, is that we have peace with God. We have peace with God, and as an evidence of our assurance, of our hope in the glory of God. So jumping to verse 3, why, why does it seem like Paul kind of goes to this topic of suffering? It seems a little out of place. And well, just as I mentioned, Paul uses peace as an evidence of proof that we have this great hope in Christ, in God. And what he's probably kind of anticipating is if Christians, if people are hearing this message and they're hearing that they have, Christians have peace, therefore they have hope, he's anticipating the fact that some readers or some hearers are probably wondering, that doesn't make sense. If truly I have this hope and I have peace, then why are Christians, especially at that time, suffering? Why are they being persecuted? Why are they being afflicted? And this is a notion that, an idea that doesn't go far from, to, from our thinking today. If we are truly Christian, then why does it seem like we are persecuted? We have no, it doesn't seem like we have peace. We are afflicted. And this is very much due to the fact that a lot of times we hear this prosperity gospel in our time today. Many, many churches, unfortunately, and many preachers today say that if you become a Christian, your life, in a sense, will, and it will get better in a sense, of course, because we have God. But in a sense that if you come to God, then your problems will go away. We hear this a lot. If you come to faith, then, you know, some preachers will say then you will earn more money or your pains will go away. But this cannot be further from the truth as Scripture shows that the Christian life is not only filled with suffering, but it's filled with rejoicing in suffering as well. Jesus says this in John chapter 17, verse 33, as he says to the disciples, I said these things to you, that in me you may have peace, but in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In Acts chapter 5, we see Peter and the apostles be beaten for the sake of the gospel. They're preaching the gospel, and it says here, when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. They, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. So as we can see here, a life suffering is present in the Christian life. 
But first, I want to go through what it, some distinctions and some kind of clarifying terms of what it means to rejoice in our suffering, as it says in verse 3. <clears throat> first, rejoicing in suffering not only means rejoicing. He, Paul doesn't just mean rejoicing in the midst of suffering, but he really points to the fact that we are to rejoice in the suffering itself. That when afflictions comes, we not only rejoice in the fact that, you know, we can stay afloat or rejoice in um, other things, but that we can actually rejoice in the suffering itself. And this is very, a very challenging word to hear. How can I, in the midst of immense suffering, possibly rejoice in the suffering itself? And it's first important to note that the word rejoice actually has this con- more of this connotation of boasting, suggesting here that we have a confident hope, we have a confident joy, and we have this confident boast in our suffering. It's almost as if we're congratulating oneself. And one analogy I like to put is that for 99% of us, working out is not fun. <laughs> working out is not fun. You don't see anyone working out for just for the fun of it. No one actually likes the act of working out or studying an exam. I don't know, maybe you're the 1% that actually does like it, but for the most parts, no one really likes working out or studying for an exam. These are toilsome tasks. They're tiresome. They require a lot of efforts. Most people enjoy working out because of the benefits and the things that come with working out. Maybe having a sense of community as you work out with other people or seeing yourself grow stronger and more healthy but suffering, uh, but working out in itself is, is not a fun task. And this is the same thing with rejoicing and boasting in our sufferings. Rejoicing does not mean enjoying. No one enjoys suffering. When it comes, it's painful. But God calls us to boast in it. Right? So again, there's a difference between rejoicing and enjoying Another thing is, because rejoicing is also boasting and having this joyful confidence in congratulating oneself, this leaves room for us to both have lament, to mourn, but also rejoice, right? Rejoicing does not mean that, again, we, we simply do not cannot enjoy, uh, simply have to enjoy the suffering. We do, again, we do not have to enjoy the suffering but it calls us to have joy and boasting in our suffering and also lament. And this is something that Paul makes very clear is possible for us as Christians. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. And this is true. And this is something I have realized in the recent years, that God grows his people's capacity to both rejoice and to have sorrow at the same time. But this leads uh, me to talk about why can we rejoice? How can we rejoice? Uh, We've seen how the Bible says we are to rejoice in suffering. We already see how a Christian life does have suffering in it. But now we go into this passage where we kind of, Paul shows us how we can, shows us how we can rejoice. And he says here in verse 3, 
to four. Not only that, but rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. So we can see here that we can rejoice in our suffering because suffering makes us more certain of our hope. We can glory and boast in tribulations and suffering because our faith allows us to see our trials in such a way. And it realizes, and it helps us to realize that suffering promotes and further advances our hope. And there's really two approaches to suffering in life. If met with God's, if met with doubt in God's goodness and promise, or bitterness to other people or to God himself or despair, these sufferings can bring spiritual defeat into a believer's life. But if met with the attitude of confidence and rejoicing that Paul encourages here, these sufferings will produce valuable qualities that are listed in verse 3 to 4. So let me go through these qualities. Endurance. The first word we see here is endurance. And it's a word that denotes the spiritual fortitude that bears up and is indeed made stronger by suffering. And it has this, again, connotation of stick to it. Just as a marathon runner is racing and running and is tired and wants to give up, sticks to it to finish the race. It also has this meaning of abiding under or staying under pressure. And again, this is so unnatural to us to hear today. We naturally want to escape pressure, but tribulation and rejoicing suffering causes us to stay under it. In our modern world today, it is easy for us to run away. We are, have so much access to resources. We are so capable in ourselves. We can, at any moment, turn to video games, Netflix, social media, so many choices. If we don't have a job that we like, that we just can quit, find another job easily. If we don't find a church that we like, we can simply go to another church down the street that's five minutes away. <clears throat> it's easy for us to fall out of that pressure. It's easy to, for us to escape that pressure. But just a word of caution. There are times where very much, as we can see here, God calls us to endure, to be persistent in the suffering situation that we are in. But there are other times where maybe it'd be more honorable to kind of leave. And my quick word of advice is before you do anything in, the t in terms of your suffering or your situation or tribulation, always go to God first and ask, what is most honoring to you? If it's most honoring for, to you to stay in the situation, I will stay. If it's most honoring to you to leave, then maybe I should leave and, and go forth from there. But always go to God in prayer and know that God does put us in situations to endure. And this is something that I have really experienced for myself. During my freshman year, again, it was a hard transition. And I actually really wanted to transfer. I had the transfer documents on my laptop, ready to fill them out, ready to leave. Um, ready to transfer after my first semester. But I talked to my dad and I thought to myself, a reason why I came to Emory was because I felt like God was challenging me to grow spiritually and to be challenged in my faith. My brother went to Emory and I heard many of the challenges that he has faced with his peers, with many people not being Christian. And during my senior year, that was something that really came to my mind was maybe it's too easy if I stay here in Oklahoma where everywhere it's normal to be a Christian Maybe, God, you are calling me to be challenged in my faith. 
And I, in the midst of this decision of wanting to leave or to transfer or to stay, I thought back of the reason why I believe God brought me here in the first place. And a word of encouragement that came from my father at the time, he was telling me that, you know, God often puts his people in the desert places to grow their faith in him, right? And that kind of caused me and motivated me, motivated me to stay. And I look back at that experience now, and if I had a choice to change things or to do things over, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Um, because it really did test me and made me more sure to my faith and was actually a central experience in my life to want to pursue ministry today. All right. So the next word we come to is character. Endurance leads to character. And character, again, has this a sense of if we are truly Christian, we're able to pass the test. Character has this um, kind of, again, definition of a refining metal tested to be made pure without impurities. Pure character tends to confirm and strengthen our hope in the glory of God. And we, and we naturally see this in general revelation. We naturally see this in people today. Those, especially parents, who kind of give everything to their child, who do not ha- allow them to have this testing period, kind of tend to have poor character. Someone who's just given everything by their parents and just given everything without... Um, any responsibilities or challenges, we all know those sort of people, they have a lack of character. And this is, the, this is something that we see in Hebrews 12, of the fact that God tests his people so that we can know that we are his children. This is the whole essence of Hebrews, uh, first half of Hebrews 12, where it says that God is essentially disciplining us and testing us so that we can, again, prove ourselves to be not prove ourselves, sorry, so we can have proof that we are God's children. So again, we ought to rejoice in our trials and knowing that we have endurance and endurance leads to a refined character and refined character shows us that we are truly God's children. And this is something that we see again in the garden, in the creation. God tests Adam and Eve in the garden. They are commanded not to eat from the garden, from the tree of good and evil, in order to prove themselves that they really do trust in God rather than themselves. And this is something that Jesus even preaches in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 to 12, where he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for they persecuted the prophets before you. So recently, my sister switched jobs. She used to be a teacher, um, teaching first and fourth graders. Recently, she transitioned to working for the um, city education district. And one of her big tasks is to kind of improve the community relations with the district to the parents of the local schools. And one thing that's these that the district does and has started doing is they started hosting and participating in pride parades, right? And on my fir- on her first day of work, my sister had to tell her boss and all her coworkers, because of my faith, because of what I believe in, I cannot participate in these parades, right? And 
with the moment she said that a coworker, several coworkers actually were just furious, didn't understand. Her boss was a little under, a little bit more understanding, but a little bit puzzled by the fact. Um, and my sister ended up just going to the restroom and crying on her first day of work. <clears throat> and again, while I do mourn for this experience, while I do understand the sorrow of this experience, I cannot help but, you know, say in my heart and really be encouraged by the fact that, man, you suffer for your faith's sake. And this really proves to me that you are really walking in step with the Lord and he's using you. So while suffering can often threaten or weaken our hope as we might expect to be, we see here in verses three, four again, that our suffering makes us certain of that hope. Hope is like a muscle. It will not grow strong. It will not get strong if it goes unused. It is actually through the means of suffering and testing that we are able to exercise and, and build up our hope. And it's this constant reaffirmation of hope in the midst of apparently hopeless circumstances that will bring ever deeper conviction of the reality and certainty of the hope that we have. Again, suffering makes us, and suffering in the right manner makes us more certain of our hope. It's proof that God is perfecting me more. God is working in me. <clears throat> so, Again, going back to verse one with the therefore, we are justified. This whole passage is about hope. This whole passage is about hope. So what, what is this hope? And I, I want to define that. And essentially, this hope is that we are truly in God's hand, and he will save us to the end. He will redeem us completely, and, and we will see the full glory of God one day. The God who started the good work in you, he will make it complete. The God who created this world will one day perfect it. The God who has showed a glimpse of his glory in this world will show you the full extent of his perfect glory face to face one day. How beautiful that experience will be. One day we will counter God face to face and see again the full glory and majesty of his amazing love and his amazing glory. No more tears, no more pain, but full perfect fellowship and love with our God, our creator, our savior, our father. <clears throat> and Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's a famous preacher, said this, Christian hope is both the parents and the child of patience. Again, Christian hope is both the parents and the child of patience. We have hope. We can be patient. We can endure sufferings. We can rejoice in our sufferings because we have this hope in God. We have this hope that since we are justified, we are saved by, uh, it, through faith in the work of Jesus Christ, that we have hope that God will continue to work in us, even in the midst of our sufferings. And hope is also the, parent, uh, the child, where through the patient enduring, through the trials, we have a greater grasp of hope. This is why hope is both the parent and the child of patience. Without hope, we cannot endure, we cannot rejoice in our sufferings. But also it is through the rejoicing of sufferings that we find greater hope. This, uh, this gives us full confidence and joyful confidence 
to suffer well, to persevere well, and again, to find greater, greater hope. So a few things that um, I believe we can take away from this passage. And first, the first one is pretty obvious, as my sermon title says, rejoicing in suffering. And I want to ask us this, when was, when was the last time you boasted, you rejoiced in your suffering? It's easy for us to just get in the doom and gloom of the things that are happening in this world and just to, again, lose hope. But have you ever boasted in your suffering knowing that it produces hope? Boasting in human achievement obviously is not something that we should do, but boasting in the amazing provision of God in the midst of our suffering is completely appropriate. The glory of God, which is promised to us that one day we will be made perfect again, is something that we truly can boast in, that we can truly hope for in the midst of this temporary affliction, this internal glory and hope of being with the Lord forever and made fully perfect in him. So rejoice. Rejoice in your boast and rejoice in your suffering, boast in your suffering. But again, be able to lament in your suffering as well. But in the midst of boasting, be encouraged that you are going through this because God loves you. He's testing your character and he's giving us the opportunity again to know his hope more. Second, go to God in your suffering. Just as a marathon runner has to routinely get food and water in order to finish the race, we must continually go to God as our source of energy. A marathon runner needs sufficient food and water. We need to go to Christ for strength, and we cannot but be renewed whenever we go back to him in his word, in prayer. He will replenish us, as scripture has promised. He will give us the strength and the joy that's necessary at the right time. So don't Try to do it on your own. Go to God. Keep going back to God. That is the great battle of our Christian life. <clears throat> and even more so, this suffering is a, is a blessing in the sense that we are able to continue to go back to him and knowing that we have a loving father and we can always depend on him for a fresh supply of strength and hope. <clears throat> and last, put your, hope in, put your hope in God. This whole passage is about Hope And Paul's main point is to assure us of this great hope that we have. And this is something I, a big reason why I believe I became a Christian is this distinctiveness of Christian hope and, and being able to reason and be able to understand a lot of the sufferings that happen in this world. Um, I don't know if you have ever talked to people about maybe some of your problems. And I don't know about you, but at least for me, I see a great distinction, especially with my Christian brothers and sisters and my non-Christian friends. <clears throat> for those Christian brothers and sisters, uh, for, for my non-Christian friends, it's sometimes kind of disconnecting and disorientating when sometimes I share about my great suffering and all that's responded is, I'm sorry, and then awkward silence. <laughs> Don't know what to do. And, but for, my, for, for some of my brothers and sisters in the Lord, I can really tell that they're suffering well. They're able to meet my suffering, even though they don't fully understand it to a, a full extent. 
be able to meet my suffering with an, with a sense of empathy, with a sense of confidence that just is so puzzling to me at times. How can you have hope when these things are happening to you? I have God. How can you have hope in the midst of when everything seems like it's falling apart? God is working in me. There's a distinction made where, again, when we have hope, we can actually take on suffering well. And again, it's so easy for us to be able to escape and to not lament because we sometimes have this doubt in our mind that God won't be there to, to carry us on. But again, I say, God will be there. You can have hope in him. <clears throat> and for those who may not have their hope in the Lord, I encourage you to put your hope back in the Lord. It's a tiresome task running away. It's a tiresome task to shove the things that are true in your life and putting it under the rug. Again, how do we make sense of some of the brokenness in this world? How do we make sense of the things that are happening to us? And there's a certain extent that we don't fully know. Sometimes it is appropriate to say, God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you're doing in the midst of this great trial, but God, you are present and I trust you. And that's appropriate. But at the same time, God makes it very clear from this passage that we have hope that's greater assured and secured in our suffering as well. So again, I encourage you, put your hope back in him. How do we have the strength to suffer well? It's in the hope of God. And the last thing I want to close with is this passage from Romans 8, verse 35 to 39, where essentially it reassures and kind of puts this final point that Paul makes of this assurance that we have in the great hope of God. And it's such an encouraging passage for me in, the, in so many trials, and I want to share it with you as well. And it says here, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a great word this is. How great our God is as he is working in us, as he is making more sure of our hope in all things through all situations of life. So I encourage you once again, Put your hope in him and rejoice and boast in your suffering, knowing these things. Let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you so much, Lord, that you have created us, that you have saved us, that you have loved us for all of eternity. God, it can be disorientating at times, again, where we are going through things that we can't even comprehend or handle in ourselves. But God, you are present with us. You are here with us. And even more, as we have seen today, you instill great hope and make more clear this hope through our present trials and tribulations. God, I pray that you would teach us to go to you in all things, to rejoice and boast in suffering, and to rejoice and boast in you in all seasons of life, God. We just thank you, Lord, again, that you have 
<clears throat> loved our church all so faithfully that you have, <clears throat> you are redeeming us and that one day you will make us perfect and be in perfect fellowship with you. And in that day, we'll see the full glory of your majesty and your goodness to all people, <clears throat> to, all, to your people, Lord. So we just thank you again and we pray this in your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.